Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The new fully electric Audi e-tron GT. Enjoy the breathtaking performance and design of the future of electric mobility from Audi. With Quattro-inspired flared wheel arches and matrix-design LED headlights, every element has been carefully considered and selected to help deliver a thrilling drive. And with an acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers per hour in 4.1 seconds, the Audi e-tron GT is performance electrified. Start the future now and visit audi.ca to learn more. For some people, browsing bookstores is one of the great pleasures in life. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, my guest is Heather Riesman, CEO of Indigo Books and Music. Riesman was an outspoken critic of the government's response to the pandemic, contending that the lack of preparation cost the economy far more than was necessary. We spoke about the future of bricks and mortar retail and e-commerce, how smartphones are allowing companies to track consumers, and what lies ahead as the economy emerges from the pandemic. As always, this interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Hey, Heather, thanks so much for coming on Down to Business today. Lovely to be here, Gabe. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I just wanted to ask you what it's been like to be CEO of a company that's known as a bookstore that a lot of people have said, this is a bookstore I like going to because I appreciate going in there and browsing. Well, it's a good question, right? What's it like to be CEO during this kind of a situation? You are so right. Our customers have long referred to Indigo physical indigo as their happy place. And it is an experience. We are lucky that we are a retail business that since its inception has been an experience. So of course, the challenges of not being able to be open for such a protracted period of time, particularly in Ontario, of course, that was very challenging. Challenging from an overall business point of view, but even more so challenging from our own people, our own team's point of view. So yeah. It was about the hardest business year that I can remember in my life from that point of view. Can you talk about when you realized the gravity of the situation? Was there a moment? You know, and you're referring to the gravity of the situation from a business point of view. I mean, the the real gravity of the situation was the risk it posed to people's health. That was number one. And I think like everyone else, we realized it, you know, almost from the beginning when you were made aware of how contagious it was. But when we think about what was the impact, I I don't know whether gravity is the word I would use, but what is the impact on the business? Interestingly, the first shutdown, which happened right after we all realized we were at the front end of a pandemic, it was an immediate shock to the system. There was tremendous energy in everybody within the company to understand what do we need to do to adapt and to effectively set in motion a series of things which we would need to have in place to big-time accelerate our digital business, to address employees who would be temporarily furloughed, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that was a shock to the system, but there was a lot of energy. I think what became the most critical part and remained so literally until a few days ago was the pretty extreme position that Ontario took to completely shut down business from the sort of middle of November 
through to maybe a couple of weeks in March, and then again all the way till June. That shutdown, what represents 40% of the Canadian economy, and for those of us in frontline businesses being fully shut down, that was really significant. And it was not just that it was the business cost. It is the emotional drain of trying to sustain momentum and energy during that period. So I think that would be considered the most trying time. Fortunately, we are through that now. There's no doubt about it. It was very, very difficult. Right. And you said until, I think you said last week or a few days ago, because that's when some of the restrictions in Ontario were lifted. And I think I think Ontario is where you're based. So. Right. And I mean, other other provinces had short shutdowns, but nobody as protracted. I would say this, if you were a customer-facing business, so whether a hairdresser or our business, customer-facing business and Canadian-dependent, So if you're customer-facing and you're a big multinational, not such a big deal. But if you are a customer-facing business and the majority of your business is in Canada, then these kind of shutdowns were significant financially, but also, you know, just on the uh, demands it made on people inside the company. So obviously you're not a health expert, but, you know, there's a decent chance we could see another pandemic. What sort of policy do you think would you like to see Well, I think that has a lot to do with uh, preparation, right? But what everybody learned during this pandemic, everybody, was that the potential to be prepared was there. It was there for Canada. It was there for the United States. It was there for England. It was there for China. The potential to be prepared and to understand the lethalness of this virus we, we, when I talk about we, the larger we, society knew that way in advance. In every government, there were small groups of people who were saying, this is preparedness that is required. In so many cases, governments chose not to sustain their preparedness. So one would hope that from this lesson, every government will be prepared, will understand how to recognize a virus, how to instantly implement track and trace so that you can manage the impact without this huge human, social, and economic cost. And by the way, if anybody listening wants to read it, Michael Lewis, the wonderful Michael Lewis who wrote Moneyball and and so many books, he has written a brilliant book on this called The Premonition. And it explains how easily, truly easily, we could have been prepared and saved, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives and literally trillions of dollars. Yeah. What was your takeaway about some of the biggest things that need to happen for us to be prepared as a society? Is it investing more in sort of technology? I mean, that was an issue at one point was, I remember the testing, just getting testing as we went into the first flu season was a nightmare. Right. So right now what we have all learned, and it's interesting that you mentioned that none of us are medical people, but I think lots of us had to learn a lot and understand a lot about it. And the notion that we ourselves as citizens understand things, I think, is one of the greatest learnings of this period. But, I mean, it's the core of the things that we now understand. All countries that can need their own capability to produce vaccine so that wherever the innovation comes, the actual production can happen locally so one is not dependent. You need that capability. You need to have track and trace. 
context, you need instantly to be able to understand how to implement meaningful track and trace. Look, Singapore did a brilliant job. That is the case study, right? Just a brilliant job. Their death count, I think, is in the hundreds, like really impressive because of the preparedness and the protocols that they followed. So we need vaccine production. We need brilliant track and trace. We obviously need to have PPE in storage so that it's available when we need it. And our hospitals obviously need ventilator preparation and the other things. And yes, it costs some money, but it's a bit like insurance. And, you know, most of us as individuals, we buy life insurance, we buy health insurance. Well, countries need insurance against pandemics. One of the things that people have said to me coming on the show is there's a lot of things we could have invested in and didn't. I wonder if you think businesses in general are willing to pay more taxes and people in general are willing to pay more taxes to support these types of investments. People in Canada pay a lot of taxes. The question is, where does the money go? We, we are already uh, very highly taxed, and that's fine to support a certain quality of life. But this is not about increasing taxes. This is about putting money to those things that are important. And relative, relative, talking about another book, and you know that's the business I'm in, uh, Mark Carney, as you know, was our, the governor of our bank, the Bank of Canada, but was the governor of the Bank of England and is now back in Canada. He has also written a spectacular book that deals with this subject called Values. And in that book, he makes clear that the cost of investing in the preparation in the pandemic insurance is minimal compared to what the cost was of having to fight it in the way that we had to fight it, right? We, we, we fought it in the most costly way, which is generally what happens when you look after things after the fact. So let's just assume, you know, lots of people weren't ready, not only our country, but let's say in the future, no excuse, we need to be ready. And this is not about more taxes. And let's pivot for a second. You know, Indigo, I think most people think of it as book sales, but you guys have sort of shifted a little and you're selling a lot of other things too. Can you explain what the decision was there? Well, uh, first of all, books are the foundation of Indigo. They will always be. They are our core business, and it is a business that has wonderfully grown during the pandemic. So that's just such good news, and we hope it will continue. Canadians are readers. It's something to celebrate. However, we also understand that there is a larger role we think we can play in our customers' lives, and our interest is in adding those products and experiences that we think can enrich our customers' lives as reading does. And so we are on quite a big journey to introduce products, increasingly green products, products that are associated with living in harmony with the environment that enhance our lifestyle, whether at home or personal care products. That's the journey that we are on. And everything we do in trying to enrich people's lives, whether for their children or for themselves, actually has its core in ideas that are found in the books that we sell. We think of ourselves now as an intentional living company. That sounds like a very vague term. How do you know if a product belongs in an Indigo store or not? So there are a couple of critical areas where we're playing. It's, it's actually not a vague term. Let me just stop you with that. Intentional living as contrasted with allowing our lives to be influenced and affected by outside forces Intentional living is very simply about putting your time and your resources toward those things that you believe will enrich your life. That's what intentional living is about. And so we are interested in wellness. We're interested in green home. We're interested in 
enriching the lives of children. That's the focus of the product. So if we bring something into Indigo, it is because we think it will add something to your life. Well, let me ask you, how have you guys been affected by e-commerce and Amazon and this growing trend towards just purchasing things online and having them delivered? I mean, we've been a physical digital company almost since our inception. So we've always operated, as we say, as a digital company on, on both physically and digitally. I think what the pandemic has done, not I think, I'm, I'm, I believe what the pandemic has done for us, as for so many others, is it has accelerated the growth of our digital businesses. And from a sales point of view, Indigo actually did quite well during the pandemic. I think even with stores closed nine months, we were only modestly down in sales. The challenge of the pandemic, of course, is when you have almost all of the cost of your retail business and it all goes through online. You've got double the cost without double the growth. So, But from a sales point of view, online was hugely uh, successful for Indigo and for our customers. And where do you see the balance between online and bricks and mortars? I think one of the really interesting things that is happening is there is a new appreciation for retail that is happening everywhere, which isn't to say that a huge amount of digital growth isn't going to be part of the future. It is. But where retail plays a role, as you said right at the beginning, this sort of gets us back to the beginning, where retail is an experience for discovery, for connection, for a kind of joyful dropout of the day-to-day busyness, where retail provides that experience, it will have not just a good life, but it will have a great life. And interestingly, I spent the weekend talking to a number of people from Silicon Valley, senior investors in Silicon Valley, and the new mantra for native digital companies is they need to go physical. That's the new mantra. And so I think that uh, not only will retail thrive but we will see more and more of what I like to call digital businesses. So some things will happen digitally, some things will happen physically, and it needs to feel seamless for the customer. I mean, you might go into Indigo and do some shopping, or you might come in with a list that you've made online, or you might be in the store and discover that a lot of the products that are not in the store but online, you know, you'll, you'll discover some things and decide to send them home online. So that crossover will happen more and more. People will, will will use the physical for what they like. They'll use the digital for what they like. What impacts will there be, I guess, to the bricks and mortar store as e-commerce continues to grow? Well, yeah, I, I think there's a question that you're raising is the is the essence of, of what is happening right now. Retail stores that are an experience for customers, meaning the customer has some joy in being in the store. Is it the discovery? Is it um, a connection? Is it a place you enjoy being with another person? Do you want to take your kids there? And to this day, every single digital native brand will say that if they can create a physical experience, the connection to the brand is really significant. There will always be room for Amazon in the world, as there will always be the room for Walmart in the world. And Walmart is not giving up on its stores, but massively growing its digital footprint. And I think long-term, the very successful companies will do both. And, you know, it's not surprising. Amazon themselves are now in retail. They decided that when it came to food, that was something they needed to do in retail. I remember a couple of years ago, Apple was talking about the reinvention of retail. And they were saying, like, 
people have smartphones now and there's all sorts of tracking that happens. Stores are going to be able to see if you came in and browsed a book. And then the next time you go on the internet, there's going to be an advertisement maybe for that book on the side of your web browser. And some of that stuff has come to fruition. What do you think as the CEO of Indigo about that sort of style, that sort of evolution of the shopping experience and the connection between the two? You mean the ability to communicate with someone digitally while they're physically shopping? Yeah, I guess I mean this way that the internet and smartphones and our world has changed such that we're constantly being tracked. Yeah. I don't know whether you saw it, but I, um, one of the things I did is what I call my side hustle. I executive produced a movie this year called Social Dilemma, and it deals with that, that issue of tracking and addiction to technology and what people can know about you if they choose. I have to say that I am at heart not for digital tracking. I am not. I think there could be something which is fully permission-based. That is, if the customer says, I give you permission to let me know when something is happening. I think that's fine. If, 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 if there's transparency between the retailer and the customer, and the retailer says, we're going to be doing the following And we would like to let you know about it. So let's say we we develop as an ability to be able to tell somebody when they're in the store if something that they have in their wish list is on sale. If I tell you that we can do that if you want us to, and you say, wow, I would really appreciate that, then I think that's okay. But I think an assault, I think... Uh, tracking data without getting permission from the customer and then communicating about it without getting permission from the customer is wrong. And do you think like a lot of the sort of permission consent forms these days are like 57 page forms that people just kind of scroll to the bottom. Do you see that changing? I, I would like to think so. I really think so. I think that's a huge problem. Those 56 page and who knows what you signed to, but at the moment you're just so dying to have whatever the service is that you press yes. I think nothing would be better than legislation that says permission-based has to be seven sentences. You say exactly what you do, and the customer says yes or no, period. And it, it needs to be so transparent. We need that kind of legislation, in my view. Yeah, it seems like the, the big sort of tech giants, I don't know if they would be in for that. Who would be in for that? The biggest tech companies. Well, that's why it needs legislation, in my view. There is absolute manipulation and addiction, deliberate addiction being developed in kids and in adults by the big tech companies. Deliberate addiction. Yeah. And do you see like a role for companies that are going to be anti-addiction? Well, I I, I can't say. I, I know that our approach will be transparency. Yeah. What do you think the next year is like for Indigo and other retailers? Well, I can only speak for us. We're bullish about what we're doing. And in essence, pre the pandemic, we began on this evolution toward what I was sharing with you a moment ago, which is to play a role in our customers' lives for their wellness, for their home, obviously for their reading and for their kids. So those are the four areas to play a role to enrich their lives. It's a big ambition and we're very excited about it. On the product side, on the content side, um, on the reading side, We're very excited about what's ahead. And did we get thrown some challenges during the pandemic? Yes. But like a lot of others, we learned a lot and there will be real 
real benefit coming out of this period. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Heather. I really appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks. That was Heather Riesman, CEO of Indigo Books and Music. Thanks for listening to Down to Business. And thanks to Bryce Hall for music and production, Yudula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, you can find your news on financialpost.com or any of our five newsletters covering energy, economics, finance, investing, and work.